Hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to From Bricktown, where we talk about the life of Dr. Bob Draper and the future. Dr. Bob, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Still alive and still kicking. Well, listen, we've got a great and exciting uh, show for you today, America. Uh, but first, uh, we want to send out our prayers and our concerns for everyone who is not feeling well, who's sick, who's going through. Our prayers are with you right now for everyone. Friend, enemy, foe, we're praying for you right now. It's a good idea. We're at a, a perilous time in our country. Probably the most perilous time in a hundred years. And, uh, you know, I think we will we'll get, get through it. But there's still a lot more pain to, pain to happen, I think. Uh, when the spreader-in-chief gets out of here, we'll, we'll all be better. Brooklyn Academy was one of the topics we wanted to talk about today. Dad. Tell me about Brooklyn Academy. Well, Brooklyn Academy is where I went to high school at. And I went there for, I think, two and a half, three years, I guess. Probably two years, or two and a half years, I guess. And it was uh, very interesting because it was a small school. It was a private school. It had mostly a Jewish population. And we had probably four to six black kids in the population because it cost so much to go there. And my father had to work extra work nights and stuff just to pay for it. But, you know, my mother really wanted me to do it. She was very pushing for me to do it because I was, I had a high IQ kind of thing, but I was getting terrible grades. And I went to another private school before that, Episcopalian school, St. Peter and Paul's. And so I went to Brooklyn Academy and I had to catch a bus and two different trains to get there. So it would take me about an hour and a half to two hours to get there, uh, at best. And I did, did it both ways. And it was right. It was about, oh, I'd say, three or four blocks from Brooklyn Tech, where my niece went to 30 years later. And, I was, you know, he had a different population in Brooklyn Tech. And while I, I was testing high, my marks were never getting good enough to even get me tested for Brooklyn Tech. So it was an interesting place. And they showed me how to take tests, how to get you, give you a different mentality of how to get ahead, and they, they assumed everybody was going to make it. I could say that the public schools that I went to before that assumed that you were never going to make it. I, I didn't know that at the time, but if I look back on it, that was the the population, the feeling that they were, they were, the teachers gave, except for Mrs. Coulson. Mrs. Coulson was, was a godsend to me. She was, she was an art teacher. She liked me. She thought I had promise. And she was the one who pushed me when nobody else did. And I can say even now, which is now well, 60 years later, I still think of her highly of what she did for me. And uh, she was among the, there was a number of people who, who thought I was somebody and could do something. And really were helpful. When I went to the first private school, which was St. Peter's and Paul, a couple of teachers who did that too. None of their names really stick out to me now. But they actually thought about it and talked about it. And unfortunately, in some ways, they used to, to talk to my brother who, who went to the same school later, that he was not quite as bright as I was. And they, and they said that very repeatedly, and I think to him. But I only said to my mother. 
but uh, Brooklyn Academy was a very interesting place. It was on the second floor of the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and it was a little, little Jewish school, and we had, I think, about 100 kids, maybe 150 kids, and, uh, but the thing is, they taught you how to take tests, to, to do fairly well on those tests, and to be able to do it. I got a scholarship from the state as, a, as an academic, you know, achiever, I guess. It wasn't much money, but it still was an award. And uh, from there I went to Long Island University, which is another Jewish institution, which is only actually about a mile away from each, each of these places. And you were able to, at Brooklyn Academy, to be, because it was so small, to be outstanding in a lot of things. I didn't get gotten, I don't remember getting involved in student government really, but I was on the basketball team, I was captain of the track team, and I really wasn't very good looking back on it, but I still tried. And I, and I did the best, I teach a name, Mr. Tatler, which I'll never forget, because he believed in me, and he did stuff to, to kept, kept me going and everything else, but he was, he was there, and one of the things that was interesting about it is they made us take Latin what I made my oldest son do, and you, if we could have. But Latin was the one thing that made you test better later on. A lot of what, what you, the questions they ask you to test that you have to guess are Latin-based. And remember, all of our languages are really Latin-based. All, all English is are. So it was, if you have Latin, you can figure out and, and scheme out a lot of things in your lifetime. The mo- one of the most important things that you can do is to take Latin. And we've unfortunately in our school system have forgotten about that and really don't teach it anywhere. And there was two kinds of Latin. There was church Latin and then there was really regular Latin, which was not church based. And really the main difference in the two Latins was uh, was pronunciation more than anything else. And uh, I guess what I'm saying is Brooklyn Academy was very formative to if I had not went, I probably wouldn't be who I was. I was not being successful as I was. A lot of my success came from learning how to be successful at Brooklyn Academy. My first girlfriend, there was a name, girl named Cassandra, which I never knew what cool Cassandra was before that. And she was kind of a fickle young lady, and she was a lot more advanced than I was in a lot of ways, but she's my first girlfriend. She was light-skinned black lady, black girl. So, it was, you know, interesting times, I guess. Um, but Brooklyn Academy, was, for me, was formative. If I had not went to Brooklyn Academy, I don't think we could have on this own yet. Tell me about this light-skinned girl. What, what happened? What? Well, she was, she would go flip for me to Willie Hoover, who was a basketball player, who went on to one of the schools in, in Ohio his knee, but he was a jumper, and uh, our basketball team had about three or four black guys, one Latino guy, who I know is still around because I saw him on Facebook, and I tried to make friends with him, but he immediately, immediately cut me off, <laughs> um, but um, basically that was, that was the main part of the team, and we played in the private school league, so we played other private schools that were like us. Remember years later, one of the guys that we played against was a star. 
he got a scholarship somewhere. And when I worked for the phone company years later, he applied for a job there. I tried to get it for him. But he told me what happened to him was he went and got a scholarship, but then he flunked the class and they kicked him out of, they kicked him out of school. He was to a little white, you know, all white uh, private school somewhere in the Northeast. And they just kicked him out. And that's what happened to a lot of black athletes at that time. And he was, he was, you know, kind of a, one of the better ones in that league. One of the more interesting things is that there were a number of, of Jewish kids, Jews of Italian kids, who were in the recording business. Uh, so there were a number of, of things like Barbara by the Temptations, the original Temptations, who, who were classmates of mine. And as I said, there was, I think I may have said earlier, there was a congressman's son and all kinds of different people achieving stuff and, and for young people they have to be around people achieving stuff and you have to have people moving on and saying you got to do this and encourage people to do that and that's why I can say that you know of the eight kids that I had something to do with all of them none of them are in jail all of them are doing well most of them went to college and got out and all of them are pretty much I can say well good people and, you know I, I, I feel good about each of them all of them varying degrees call and talk to me about what's going on and ask my advice about things. Uh, one of them, Chris, I talked to the other on Sunday for about an hour about going back to school now because he originally wanted to just be, uh, he liked to play farm a lot, which was a, he said, a series of uh, farm toys. They would play like they were, they were farmers and because he was on a farm and he liked that. Right now is revitalizing his family farm. Right now, right now it's 100 acres in Minnesota. It's got a little big grant from the federal government to revitalize it. And I talked to him for about an hour. I guess it was on Sunday about going back to school, thinking of different things. Because what he has done is he, he went to school basically to uh, get into uh, equipment. Basically, he liked to you know play with heavy equipment working at that. Now he's, now he's older. He's done it for now about 10, 10 or 15 years. He's seeing that there's some limitations to that. And he'd rather be kind of how to be a boss than be bossed. And uh, as he said, the people who are coming in now, the younger people, younger men, really don't know what they're doing. So it's, in some cases, that's very dangerous with those bigger weapons that he uses. But, he, but he's, he's, he's done very well for himself talking about how he, why he needs to go back to school and get, get a degree in something else. And I think that's what he's going to do. He's just got to figure out how to do it. And he's always been a, Chris has always been a, a young man who's had to think things through repeatedly before he wants, gets, gets going to where he needs to go. But he's actually done well. In fact, all the children have done well. I've not had to really go to jail for any of them. Very much of that, so it's you know a, 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 a excursion here and there of something that happened minor, but it's, none of them are in prison. None of them have ever been to prison, so I think I've done a fairly good job as a parent. And I, I could say that none of them, I think, hate me. They all you know get along very well with me now. I think. And, uh, We're gonna play a short clip from Barbara from the original Temptations and. Then Dad will go into talking about Richard Lager Ralph. Okay. 
This is Barbara from The Temptations. Barbara from the original Temptations. Boy, that brings back memories again. <laughs> when they made that song. Uh, and uh, I, I guess the key thing is that a lot of things, as you go back and look in life, you begin getting it, getting it, wondering why you did it, you did, whether you did the right thing. And we did that. We were writing songs and stuff like that. And I remember I did one called Denise. My niece, which is named Denise. My version of it was very different than the one that Randy and the Rainbows did. Let me hear. You, let me hear your version of it. It was Denise, Denise, la da la da la da la. Denise, Denise, la da la. Go to. I've I, I just forgotten from that point on. But I actually had a, had a series of, of limericks that went after that. And uh, I wasn't a very good songwriter, but in life, in young, as a young person, you try everything, which is what people should do. That way you can't say I didn't try it, whether it works or not. The vast majority of what you do as a young person, you will not be successful in. But if you don't try it, you don't know that. Because some things you'll try will be very successful, and some of them will, will lead you to different paths in life that are wonderful. And I, I, that's, that's, I think that was a hit, man. Let me hear it again. It was Denise, Denise, a lot of, a lot of, Denise, Denise. Went to went to the store something or other. Yeah, my point it was very interesting, but it was it was it was a limerick and it could have been something. You need to get that copyright protected, Dad, because it's it's got some swagger to it. <laughs> I, I'm feeling it. Uh, just a real quick for the audience, this is Randy and the Rainbow. That was the original one that made it. Yeah. I think I like your version better. <laughs> well, you, you, you puffed me up pretty good. I, I like that. <laughs> so you wanted to talk about Richard. Yes. Uh, I think he's, he's been listening to some of our, our podcast. His, his, his fraternity brother would call him Ralph. So I would call him Ralph also. And he's uh, had some tough times recently with some of his relatives. C-19 thing and some other things. I've hit some of them. But we're about to... I'm a little older than he is. So he, but he's probably close to 70, if he's not 70. He's probably over 70, I think about it. But uh, he was my roommate that was assigned by chance. He was in a room, and he was by himself, so he was assigned me a, as I went there as a basketball player. I'd gotten a scholarship from Burt, the coach at Quinnipiac, and I had to sit out a year, but I was there. He was parking me there, and that's what I did. And Rich was my roommate for a year, and it was... Looking back on it, we had a good time together. And, and I've... You know, he's, he's not texting me about a number of things. And, uh, I'm about to do a very long text to him about what's happened to me and what my progress has been over the last... Since we saw each other, which was... I guess I got out of school... 
I got out of there in about 74. So that's been almost over 40 years, almost 50 years. And we haven't seen each other since then. The last time I saw him, he was the bartender at my mine and your mother's wedding. He's the only white guy there. And uh, he's always called me Feel Good. That was, you know, I had a nickname, Dr. Feel Good. So he always used to call me Feel Good. And uh, he was just a good guy. We never argued about anything. Except that time I let those, those his fraternity brothers in so they could kidnap him. Yes, he got angry with me. He said, don't open the door, don't open the door. I opened you know. the door because they said, they were saying there was somebody in over the door to our room and they got in and snatched him and took him somewhere and dropped him off. <laughs> it was a, a fraternity ritual for upper class, upper, I guess, fraternity brothers to the younger ones and it was one of the things they did. It was, uh, he was a good guy, I guess, and as I said, I, I, I do plan on doing a a little soliloquy about what had happened since I last saw him in my life and I probably will put it on paper and if you wanted to read it or use it later on you could because I think it would be something that would be useful in perpetuity in the future we'll read it at the next show and uh, it should be good so so uh, Ralph get ready for a long text coming from Dr. Bob yeah Ralph, Ralph we need to get him on there too because he's, he's an interesting character he's in California I'm not exactly sure what he has done but I think he's been successful He's a good guy. He's very smart. He'd get me to study what nobody else did. And, you know, he was, he was culturally very different than I was. But he was a good guy. He got me to thinking differently and seeing differently. The and Ford Foundation. We wanted to talk about the Ford Foundation. Yeah, I, I, I was, you know, they always, they helped you get scholarships and stuff. And uh, at, at, at uh, Brooklyn Academy. And I got one from the Ford Foundation um, to go to graduate school, basically, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill. And uh, that was from Quinnipiac, I remember that. And I want to put all the things together back in my mind. And the Ford Foundation paid for me to go to UNC Chapel Hill and paid for my lodging, uh, gave me a stipend every month. veteran by that time, and so it looked pretty good, I guess, me and, me and your mother, was our first, after we had gotten married, it was our first place we lived, before you, one of you guys came along, and uh, Chapel Hill was a very different place, I liked where we lived, it was a, I remember we had a, I think it was a three-bedroom apartment, and we paid next to nothing for it, it was brand new at that time, and it was in Chapel Hill, it wasn't in Carborough, later on we moved to Carborough. But uh, it was a, a, a good time in life. It was different. Uh, and I liked Chapel Hill compared to New York City or Queens or Brooklyn. Because there was just a lot less people. One, one, one. It was safer. It was a nicer, nicer place. Chapel Hill and Carver were nice places to live. Still are. Uh, I did not know or think about the, type of the fact that I would be a mayor of Carver at some point. I would be a politician there. I thought I wanted to be a politician. I remember one of my classmates at Chapel Hill, he was in the 
program with us, the City and Regional Planning Program, said you, you had talked about you wanted to run for something. I'm with our part of the Scarborough Coalition. Why don't you just come on to the meeting and see if you want to run? So I did that and got included, and I was the only black guy with, the, with their crew. And, hey, I, we all got elected. They got students out to vote, and we got elected. And that's how I got into politics. You know, a lot of my, my life-changing things happen just by accident. And just by being, I think, a very nice guy that people liked. And a lot of my life things happened just that way. It wasn't something that I had planned on doing. I aspired to do it, maybe, but I was about it. Um, and by that time, I'd been in and out of the Army and... Military policeman before that, during that time, and everything was very different. But there were a number of people, as I said, who just gave me a little push here and there. Ed Bell was one of them we spoke to earlier, and, those, and that's what you need in life: is people to give you just a little push or being given a little support. As we started the South Orange Black Caucus, Neil got involved, and Neil gave me lots of pushes. He's still my friend now after 40 years and he's he has, has, he has some health issues but he's doing very well and he's lived a good life that's one other thing I can say is almost everybody that I've kept in touch with has lived a good life um, and our lives are, from this point on are going to be very short but still it's been a good trip I can't complain well you never know that your days are numbered by God and he knows the hairs on your head so you could be here for another 20, 30 years. I doubt that, but it's good to hear. So, there's a debate tonight, vice presidential debate. What are your thoughts on that? I think Kamala Harris is going to kill it. She's going to kill Pence. Pence is a dummy. He's a guy that, that's gotten by white privilege, basically. Because uh, he's not very smart. He was a terrible congressman. He's very dogmatic, he's very limited, and the fact that he could be a yes man to Trump was why Trump got him. Because he could hold the Republicans, the hardline Republicans in line, the ones that are diehard religious, who believe in turning back the clock to 1950. And he was, he was a good partner for that reason. Now he's, Trump, now Pence is in a very interesting place, because actually they, they should be invoking the 25th Amendment that the president should be replaced by the vice president because this guy is he's bonkers now he knows he's going to lose I think he's going to lose lose in historic proportions it's not going to be close of course I thought that six months ago and it's, it's proven to be more true every day um, he is right now mentally unfit if nothing else because of the drugs from the COVID-19. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you can see that. He's, he's just, he's, he's, as I said, roided out. They told him not to go back and just stay upstairs in the, in, in the residence of the White House. He was down in an Oval Office yesterday. He don't care about nothing. He just goes and does what he wants. And, and, and that's been pushed to extreme. Now, that's a person who should not be in charge of the nuclear buttons, frankly. If he sees this, he's going down. He might decide, let's just let's, let's bomb 
Russia or let's bomb somebody else. Somebody I don't like. Somebody might have insulted me. He's that stupid. And uh, he's, you know, it's pretty a dangerous time. But it's been my experience that the voters eventually get it right. And I think they've gotten it right. The race has been stable. Uh, Biden has led the entire time since he started running. It's not changed. I think this is, I think it's baked in. People have decided what they're going. Uh, as by this time, I think it was 3.5 billion black folks have already voted. So, uh, you know, I will vote next week. And I'll go in per- person because I'll, I'll go in, during the middle of the week when, in the daytime when nobody's there. And I won't have to, you know, see a lot of people. But I'll have my mask on. And we'll be in class to go have to go finders today and take the wife to uh, see my doctor and I think that's interesting it's you know my, my wife is, is the second wife I've had and both of them have been wonderful women she's just different and just by chance I met her so I went to a trip to Milwaukee I didn't want to go to and ran into her we were doing, she was doing focus groups for the volunteers and afterwards uh a number of those volunteers said, "Come on down, let's have a drink." The, the people who were running running the, the volunteers to the program, so I went down there. That's where I met her, and we had you know some discussions, and we danced a couple times. And, but I never got her phone number. But her coordinator, who was my counterpart in Minnesota, gave it to me later, years later, months and weeks later, actually in Niagara Falls. Only time I was there. We were there for the annual Forest Forest Leaders meeting, and um, she gave me her phone number, and I called her at election night a couple weeks later. She said, what time is it? What are you doing calling me this late? And we talked for about an hour and a half, and we kept on talking, and then eventually I decided to come and visit her up in snowy Minnesota, and it went on from there, and now it's been 25 years. <laughs> Beautiful story, Dad. Yeah. So that, those are among the things that happened. You don't you never know. And I guess that's, that's really the story of my life. I never knew what was going to happen next. It stumbles upon things. And I can say that I think I've been a good parent to all eight kids. And, I, and all of them have done well, and none of them have really been in jail or anything. So I must be doing All of them are still speaking to me. I think there are a lot of families that, for whatever reason, are broken. Can't say that. But my dad was, was while he was very quiet, uh, was a good dad. He was limited in his education, but he was a good dad. He worked very hard to get me where I needed to go. My mother was pushing me places. And I can say we as a family did well. My two sisters, one of which is not doing so well, good lives and we've all been long livers and it's been a good thing my brother was passed passed away like a year ago next month and it's uh, I miss him but he, he led a very good life he did a lot of good things he's got some good, good grandkids and good kids so we as a family have been very very blessed mm-hmm. 
know, my stepsister Beverly, we see all the time here. Um, she talks about that fact. She said, you guys all did well. She's one of, one of my mother's adopted children, and she's been with us since she was, she's in her middle 50s, early 60s, I guess. And she's been with us, been in our family since she was like seven or eight. So we've known her all that time. And I always tease her about being fat. Well, she's not grossly overweight, but she's got a few pounds on her. Right, but what is his background shape on? can't be the physical specimen that but you are. Who is the light? <laughs> I came down. I was able to see you in person uh, this past week. It was great to see you. And you, you came outside. You took your mask off, and you stood on the balcony, and you know.
And that changed me. The book of knowledge thing with Miss Coulson changed my entire life. I would not be anything, and you probably wouldn't either, if it wasn't for Mrs. Coulson, who you never uh, heard of. Thank you, Miss Coulson, for pushing my dad with the book of knowledge, and thank you, Grandma, for paying for it. For those of you who are in a position to encourage a young person, go ahead and do it. Believe in them and speak life to them. America, it's been a great week. We will see you next week. Adios, muchachos.